So today we're going to, well, I don't know if it'll feel different to you, but it feels different to me. Today we're going to take a little bit of a different journey through the word. Um, I, I do a word journey every year. So at, at New Year's, I pick a word and I continue to think on and meditate on that word and, and pay attention to that word all throughout the year until the next January 1st. Last year, my word was peace, and this year, my word is holiness, or holy. So there's no rules to this. It's kind of just how God chooses to speak to me through this. So it can be that I go a week or two without any inspiration, Um, or it can be that I spend days and days thinking of new ways to find this word in scripture, or it can be that God speaks to me through seeing this word somewhere out in the world. Um, At any rate, so far this year, I've been focusing on the word holiness, and God has laid a few scriptures on my heart, and so I thought that today um, I'd bring you with me on where I've come in my journey this far. It's only been a couple of weeks, but um, I thought I'd like to share with you what this is. And so as Katya read, um, the focus today is going to take us away from the mundane, our, our sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around selves, and help us to focus holiness even into those mundane activities. That's my goal for today. And um, because this follows my journey, it's not going to be necessarily uh, a good flow all the time. Um, I'm going to walk you right through the, the route that I've taken so far. So bear with me. Sometimes it doesn't connect, and sometimes it does, but I hope that God will speak to you just as much as he's spoken to me through this. So first we're going to turn to First Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 13. I have the NLT, but it's not too different from your NIV that is in the Pew Bibles. Um, we're going to go from verse 13 to verse 25. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless 
Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now, in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. Let's pray. Gracious, loving God, um, we ask that you would speak to each and every one of us. We ask your blessing on this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, there are really no starting points with this. Um, So I, as I was focusing my first day, focusing on holiness, I was reminded of a passage that's very, very familiar to me, and that is the passage that Brian read from Isaiah 6. Um, That's Isaiah's kind of call into ministry And it always strikes me whenever I think about holiness or even whenever I think about the power of God because the the seraphim were, were singing of God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy. And then something else happened. And that's what I pay attention to. So Isaiah meets God in the temple. And... He sees God's holiness in comparison to his own self, and he becomes absolutely terrified, and rightfully so. The seraphim had declared his holiness, and it was common knowledge that God's holiness is something that people cannot gaze upon without being put to death. So just think of examples in the Old Testament where this has happened. Um, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, simply touching the Ark of the Covenant, put people to death. God told Moses in Exodus that even though he would allow Moses to get just a glimpse of his glory, his holiness passing by, that he had to look at the back of him. He couldn't look directly at God because, as God said, or you would surely die. Holy, holy, holy. Now, I'm, I'm using, actually, I should back up here. I'm using glory and holiness almost interchangeably, um, and that isn't 100% right, so let me tell you why I'm doing that. Um, holiness is what God is. God is holy, and holiness is defined as set apart. Literally, holiness is to be different, but we we interact with that word in such a way that it means to be different for God or to be set apart for God. So holiness is not just being different, but it's being different for God's purposes. 
and God is holy. He's different because he's without sin, completely 100% without sin, and that is why holiness and glory are going hand in hand here. So, so his holiness is what he is, and because of that, he is glorified, and because of that, his glory fills the earth. So the seraphim were calling out, holy, 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 that's what he is. Because of that's what he, he is, the whole earth is filled with his glory. God can be glorified because he is so holy. And God's glory, I think we often think of God's glory as something really beautiful to gaze upon. And I, that's correct. But it's also terrifying. Isaiah was, was sure he was going to die. And the whole temple shook. And the winds picked up just from his glory. His glory is big and powerful. It's incredible. So God's holy, different from the things of this world, which are sinfulness, entirely, entirely separated, um, if a sinful person were to come into his presence, like Isaiah, they would surely die because he's different from sin. Separated from sin cannot be near to him. Habakkuk 1.13 says that uh, God's eyes are too pure to even look on evil, and he can tolerate no sin. And yet... God meets Isaiah. Not only that, here's another jump. I told you there would be some. Uh, God did not want to be separated from his people. So by the very nature of who he was, he had to be, and there needed to be a solution. And so he instructed his people to build a dwelling place for him, and he came to dwell within it. That was the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and later the temple. This was set up um, all the way at the back of the tabernacle or temple. And since there had to be a separation between God and sinfulness, and God dwelt in the Holy of Holies, there was a thick veil that hung from the ceiling all the way to the ground and it separated this holy of holies from the rest of the temple. And so, even though God came to dwell there, there was still this separation between God and man. That's why Isaiah knew he was surely going to die, and he cried out, woe is me. Because that power of God's holiness, his glory, was showing Isaiah he had something to be scared of. And Isaiah knew from this past experience, from, from, these, from this holy of holies, and from stories, and from his own experience, that God was too holy to be around, and so he knew he was going to die, and yet he didn't. Instead, God had the seraphim take a lump of coal and cleanse him. Thereby, he made Isaiah clean and holy, meaning Isaiah was then set apart for God. 
This is Isaiah's call to ministry. So once God had made him clean, he was able to be set apart for God's work. So that's what I had reflected on at the beginning of this month. Um, but then I moved on to First Peter. Again, I really jumped around. Sometimes I just take a dictionary and I look up words and then I'm like, oh, that's a great place to just randomly start. So that's exactly what I did. So I moved to First Peter. And in First Peter, as we heard, it says, but just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now my question for today is, is this too much for Peter to ask? To be holy in all you do. Because just a moment ago, we saw Isaiah, who expected to die from his human sinfulness, And we see an example like that, and it really sinks in. What a big task holiness is. We could never be so holy that we are glorified, and we could never be so holy that our glory shakes the walls, even of this church. That's not something you can expect. God is inherently holy. God himself is holiness. God himself is sinlessness. And yet, Peter calls us and says that if we're in relationship with God, then we must be holy. I just feel like that's a big, difficult charge. And yet, we've heard it before. So think about the Old Testament. All through Leviticus, we hear that charge over and over. The wording in 1 Peter is reminiscent of the holiness code in Leviticus 17 through 26. Over and over, it says, be holy because I am holy. God gives a task and then repeats those words. So it's important. And the task must not be impossible if God himself has given it to us. Now, in order to be holy as God was holy... We have to be entirely without sin, separated from sin, and blameless by following God's law perfectly. That's to be holy as God is holy. How do we follow God's law? God's law includes the Ten Commandments. In theory, those should be easy to follow. Don't murder. Don't steal. Those are pretty standard, actually. In fact, they're standard enough that I wouldn't necessarily call them holy. A lot of cultures have those laws. We have that law in the United States, though the United States is made up of many different religions. Don't murder. It's basic. The Ten Commandments we must follow, but then God in the the Holiness Code in Leviticus 17 through 26 has a whole lot of other commands. They're above and beyond the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments aren't really holy because they aren't set apart because they're kind of, some of them are different, but some of them are kind of the same as all the others. 
the holiness code and these laws were guidelines for striving for holiness, striving to be set apart, something in addition to the Ten Commandments. And so you avoid those things that are ceremonially, ceremonially unclean or would make you ceremonially unclean. And in addition, there are laws that are represented to um, cover all basic human interactions. So holiness encompasses doing what's right as others would, like the Ten Commandments, but also something additional, like avoiding that which is deemed to make you unclean, and going above and beyond to make sure that you are following these codes for human interaction, and going above and beyond to do and follow these laws that sometimes seem maybe nitpicky and sometimes seem over the top and sometimes seem confusing and weird. Um, Okay, so I just watched What's in the Bible with the kids this last Thursday, and uh, they were talking. They made a whole song about eating locusts but not eating ants. It's an actual song now, and if you haven't heard it, you should look it up. May or may not be worth your time. Um, but why? Why is there a law that says we can eat locusts and we can't eat ants? That's part of the holiness code. <laughs> we are set apart. And so being set apart, we do follow these laws that are set apart. There are reasons for them, but sometimes it just feels kind of strange. And yet, all this time, it's impossible to follow all of these laws. And so every, day, or every year, there was a Day of Atonement. The one day of the year where anybody could enter the Holy of Holies, and that anybody was the high priest. He could only enter the Holy of Holies one day of the year. That was the Day of, the, of Atonement. We know that as Yom Kippur. Uh, if you follow Jewish culture at all. Um, In order to do that, though, he had to go through all of these rituals. He had to make sure he was ceremonially clean. He had to um, wear certain clothing. He had to do a bathing ritual. He had to make a sin sacrifice and a burnt offering for himself, and then both of those for the people. Um, It was a long ritual, a long process, Very intentional, because what he was doing was very important. And so he went through this very intentional process of making himself ceremonially clean, all to enter into a room, but it wasn't a room. It housed God. Now, he also had to burn thick incense so that he couldn't see the mercy seat, which was housed in the Holy of Holies, uh, and where God's glory would rest, because he would surely die. And just in case he did die, there was a string tied around his leg so he could be pulled out because he was the one who went through the ritual process, not anyone else. So no one else could go and pull out his body should he die. 
and then there would be another year for the Day of Atonement to wait. And yet atonement had to be made. So going through this crazy, impossible sounding process and setting up, I mean, even a string in the event of your own death, it seems, it seems almost too difficult to think about, but atonement had to be made. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. It had to be done, or else even trying to follow these holiness codes was worthless. Atonement had to be made if we wanted any form of relationship with God. God cannot be near us because we are sinful. Atonement had to be made so that we could have relationship with him. And so this process was followed over and over. And God did dwell with the people, but he remained in the Holy of Holies behind that thick veil. So there was still a separation between God and man. A more permanent solution was needed, and so Jesus came to atone for our sins. Because no matter what, we can never be inherently holy like God is. We can try to follow those codes, and we can make atonement. But the next year, we're going to have to do it again, because somewhere along the line, probably a lot of somewheres along the line, we're going to mess up. And so Jesus came for a more permanent solution, and he gave his own lifeblood on the cross. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 says, But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves like the high priest had to, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially uncleaned to sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more, then, will the blood of Christ who through eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may um, serve the living God. The final sacrifice, and one that was more perfect, completely perfect, whereas the goats and the bulls could only do so much. This was a perfect sacrifice, And when he died, the veil in the temple was torn. That which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, from the rest of the world, no longer existed. No longer does God confine himself to the Holy of Holies separated from his people. When Christ ascended to heaven, every Christian became a temple of the Holy Spirit, a living dwelling place of God. And that's interesting. God is holy. 
So that means separate, but no longer must he be apart from us with Jesus' atonement for our sins. God is able to dwell in us instead of apart from us. Through nothing that we did, we were atoned for. We were marked as set apart for God then. But our actions are still lacking. We've been marked as set apart for God, just like Isaiah was when he was cleansed. God marked him as being set apart for his purposes. That is the same thing that happened to us when Jesus died. But there's something required. After God cleansed Isaiah, set him apart for his purposes, Isaiah had to respond, and he said, Here am I, send me. God set him apart for his purposes. Isaiah agreed to go for God's purposes. That's our next step. We're cleansed, and so we are no longer separated, unless we choose to be separated. We can choose the easy path, right? We can choose to continue in sin, and we can choose to reject God through that, and then we will need to be continued to be separated. We have to make a choice for holiness. So this is what Peter means. And we now realize that his charge in 1 Peter is not impossible. It's not impossible because Christ died for us and gave us this power to live into our holiness. But that being said, what do we do with that charge? Does this mean we have to strive to follow the Levitical holiness code? Have any of you eaten ants lately? That's not what it means. In fact, Peter himself um, in Acts had a dream. Peter followed this holy code in Leviticus. Peter was a well-brought-up, good Jew. And he followed this holiness code, and he did right. But he had a dream in Acts, and it was important. He saw a sheet with all kinds of clean and unclean animals. Some of those animals God had said specifically not to eat in the holiness code. But in his dream, the voice of God said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Even these unclean animals that would separate him from holiness. And Peter replied, surely not. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And God responded by saying, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And it happened three times before the sheet was taken back to heaven. So Peter himself knew that there must be something different here. There was something different about the way that we were atoned for. There is something different about where God dwells. 
And there's something different about this holiness code. We are no longer bound to this code in Leviticus. Sometimes these are good things to follow, but we're no longer bound to it. Peter is the one writing this letter. Peter is calling us to be holy as God is holy. And yet we know Peter is very familiar with this change in what is clean and what is unclean because he himself had that dream. So if remaining ceremonial clean is no longer necessary for our holiness, then what is a good guide to holiness? Well, we look to the example of Jesus. Jesus in um, the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus as he um, spent Sabbath healing and uh, gathering grain for his disciples, Jesus redefined the holiness code. Jesus kept to the Ten Commandments and sometimes expanded on them and sometimes defined them to tell us how to live mercifully and how to live in a way that God wants us to live and how to live and interact with other people and go through our daily lives um, as people who are set apart for God and yet not nitpicking about the small details and worrying about constantly being ceremonially unclean. Jesus redefined that. And that seems sometimes a bit obvious. We must love as Jesus has loved and do as Jesus would do, um, just like he defined in many, many examples. And how do we do that? And I think instead of going through and walking through each of the commandments and telling you exactly what to do, um, I think we need to start with something even more basic, and that is to, um, to intentionally pursue our own journey to holiness. We need to remember God's holiness. For me, sometimes that's remembering the fear of Isaiah. That passage speaks very loudly to me. For others, it can be found somewhere else. But I think that recognizing God's holiness brings us to a place of fear. So remembering to fear God, it's not something we always preach anymore. For a long time, it was everything anyone preached was fear God. That's not right. We, we do remember that Jesus is our friend. We remember that Jesus has healed us and saved us. Um, and yet it's not right to stop preaching it either. We need to fear God. And if you haven't been afraid of God lately, afraid is the wrong word, if you haven't feared God lately, then take some time and wonder why. God is very powerful. His glory is incredible. His holiness defines his sense of justice, and that is who he is, something he cannot turn from. 
And God's justice leads to God's judgment. And that's something to fear. And God's power is something to fear. Have you ever looked up at a storm that's just raging around you and felt absolutely powerless? Well, God is in control of that storm. Isaiah was fearing in the temple, and God was in control of the shaking and the wind. We love to preach about how Jesus calmed the storm, but God also created the storm. Remember to fear God. And it's important because when we look at God and we see his holiness, we are reminded of our own shortcomings. Pridefulness is probably the biggest sin ever. And so if we're no longer reminded of our shortcomings, we become prideful. And we think about God in such a way that says, yeah, I think I'm doing pretty well here. I think I'm probably as good as God. I mean, I haven't murdered anyone recently, and I don't steal. And I'm doing okay on these Ten Commandments, so I'm, I'm probably as good as God. And you forget to look at his holiness, and then you say, and I've been forgiven by Jesus anyhow, so I'm doing great. You're getting prideful. You need to remember that God is holy, that God's standard is perfect. Go ahead and let yourself be in fear. That is the first step to pursuing holiness, is remembering that holiness is God and holiness comes from God, and we cannot be holy without him. And yet he calls us to the standard that he is at. That's a hard standard to reach. And so don't ever say, oh, I'm holy enough then, because that's not true. God's always got a higher standard. When you are fearing God, you remember this. Also, with that in mind... Know that God is calling you to strive for that anyhow. Know that God, even though his standard is impossible for us to reach, is still walking alongside us and asking us to reach for it anyway. And so how do we do that? Well, this passage in 1 Peter, it tells us, to no longer conform. And so here's me on my jump around journey again. The word conform reminds me of Romans. No longer conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that reminds me of Philippians 4.8. Whatever is true and noble and right, think on these things. That sounds very intentional. Our minds are sometimes things that we don't think about. They just, they think about things and they go off in their own little tangents, mine does. Um, Controlling your thoughts is very intentional. I kind of 
am reminded of a kid's song. So this isn't scripture, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach it anyway. Uh, oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little hands, what you do. All of those verses, be careful of what you see, hear, and do, those are very hard things to be in control of. I mean, what you do is a little easier, but um, right now I'm seeing all of you, and, and when I go out into the world, I hear things. I hear things people are saying walking down the street. I hear things on the television. I hear things all the time, and I can't control what someone else says or what I hear, but I can control the way that I think about it. And that takes a lot of intentionality. And I think that is the key in becoming holy. So Peter is calling us to be intentional about the things that we do. We can be very good Christians and follow the Ten Commandments, but if we've become um, undisciplined in that, or if we're just following that out of pattern or out of habit, it's no longer intentional. Are we still holy then? Are we still striving for holiness if we're doing it just to do it? Holiness means being set apart, so doing what is good and right and just. But holiness really means being set apart for God. We can do good things and not be working toward holiness. We do good things because the Lord our God is holy and we strive to be holy also. Striving to be holy takes work and constant work. But as Peter points out, this life will quickly end. What we've been given is life unending. To conform to the things of this world might feel easier um, because our sin nature makes us just more naturally lean towards sinfulness and then lean away from holiness. And this world around us gives us the idea that sometimes the sinfulness is the better of the options. Strive for power, strive for money. It's okay if you sin, no one really has control over over you, it's each man for themselves. The world gives us those messages and it's really easy to follow them. It's hard to go against them. And it's even harder to go against them intentionally knowing that you are doing so because you follow a holy God. But these easy things and the things of this world are brief. And the things of holiness and God's kingdom are unending. And so we actively work toward the standard of holiness that is expected and upheld in God's kingdom. And we may not ever be inherently holy as God is, but we can strive to become more so each and every day through his guidance. We can do that through relationship with Christ, who atoned for our sin to even give us this possibility. And in our relationship with Christ, when we are intentionally and actively pursuing the Lord, 
he will be showing us constantly where we need to be built up. Where are you lacking in holiness? God will show you. Sometimes it won't really be fun. And yet God will walk through that, and in your relationship with Christ, you'll be able to overcome those obstacles. So I invited you to walk through my jumble of thoughts and my word study today. Um, But now I also invite you to grow daily in holiness. Think about that in which either you have fallen asleep or think about that in which you are lacking in holiness. Think about where God is calling you to a higher standard or where God is calling you to be set apart for him. This encompasses all areas of our life, so there's really no wrong answer here. There is some area in your life where God is calling you right now to be holy for him. And that means intentionally saying, I am doing this for God. As the authoring comes around, I invite you to do just that. I invite you to think of those areas where you can work to be more intentional about striving for God's holiness. So now um, I'm going to pray, and I'm also going to invite the deacons to come forward so that we can enter into a time of offering um, and worship to the Lord through our giving. If you are a guest here, um, feel free to let the plate pass you by. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for, um, for your death on the cross. Thank you for your atonement in our lives for our sins. Thank you for walking beside us and holding us to a higher standard. Thank you for setting us apart. Thank you that you are holy. God, we ask that you would prepare us that you would build us up, and that you would not let us be satisfied with the mundane, but that you would help us to continually strive for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.